Welcome to Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com and visit the Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire blog at writerwriterpantsonfire.blogspot.com. I'm looking for support in 2018 to keep the show going and have started a GoFundMe. If the show has been of any help to you on your writing journey, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating so that I can continue airing. Visit GoFundMe.com and search for Writer Writer Pants on Fire to contribute. Today's guest is J.R. Johansson, author of The Nightwalkers Trilogy, as well as Cut Me Free and The Row. JR's books have been published in a dozen languages and more than 20 countries worldwide. She has a BS degree in public relations and a background in marketing. She credits her abnormal psychology minor with inspiring many of her characters. She joined me today to talk about the process of landing her agent and how writing thrillers came to be her brand. Michael Sterling disappeared from his main town five years ago. Everyone assumed he was kidnapped. Everyone was wrong. Boomerang explores coming to terms with who you are, what you want, and how vast the difference can be between the two. Boomerang by Helene Dunbar. So a lot of my listeners are aspiring writers who are in the query trenches. And as someone who has been there and come (laughs) out, please tell us a little bit about your experience querying and your agent hunt. I queried my first book a long time. (laughs) It was one of those books where instead of writing several books to kind of improve my craft, I rewrote the same book over and over and over again. That was my experience. And I ended up querying that book quite a bit, but I think basically in the end, the book itself, like just the idea was a, a bit too derivative. I ended up moving on to a different idea and wanted to make sure it was a unique idea wrote that book. It ended up being Insomnia, which was my first published book. I believe I sent out, I think it was around 50 queries and I had something like 25 full requests. It was, wow. It was a pretty high percentage on that one. I was a much better query writer than I was an actual writer at the beginning because I, my background's in marketing. So I was really good at selling myself (laughs) uh, before I got really good at writing. (laughs) I queried my, my agent, Kathleen, Kathleen Rochelle. She's at Andrea Brown. She wasn't at the time, but I've been with her. Last week, it was seven years uh, that I've been with her, which wow. is crazy. Queried her. She just requested like a, the first couple of chapters with her query. I sent it to her. She was brand new at the time. I think like four days later, she emailed me back and asked for the full kind of sent her a standard, do you have other fulls out? And she responded like immediately and said, okay, can you send me a synopsis? While I was looking for the synopsis on my computer, she called me and offered representation before she had finished the book. I was, needless to say, extremely shocked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was very surprised. Thank you. I'm really excited, but why don't we just wait and have you read the whole book? Because I was terrified that she might read the whole book and be like, yeah, never mind. (laughs) We talked again after the weekend and she was even more interested, she said. So waited a week and let other people know. And, but she just, she was so excited about it. There was really no, no question who I was going to go with. I've been with her ever since. 
That's fantastic. I love what you said about your first novel that you were querying being derivative. A lot of us fall into that trap because as new writers, we are usually pulling from a trove of things that we've read and things that we've seen. We have our own ideas about how to do certain things. And we Mm -hmm. tend to put together sometimes an amalgamation of many different tropes. And while that's perfectly okay, and it is a good way to practice your skills, it isn't necessarily a novel that's going to sell. So can you talk a little bit more about that, about why your first book that you were working with was derivative? It was a portal book. You know, it was about a girl who went out into the desert and found a, a portal to another land that had been done like a hundred million times before. Mm-hmm. So it was not a unique idea. And, you know, I still love the story. I still love the characters. Something I, I actually really enjoy and, and really am proud of, but it still was not a unique enough story to catch anyone's really attention at that point. And that's okay. You know, it was really such a good experience for me to be able to take that story and just rewrite it until I became a good enough writer to understand that I needed to write something more unique and, and that my, my skills were good enough that I could start over with something new. And this wasn't the only thing I could create. I think sometimes when we are new writers, we look at those stories that we really loved the first ones that we executed, which we have a lot of pride in because it's the first full novel that we've written but it isn't necessarily a good novel. So did you struggle with letting go of that and saying, okay, this is my first book baby that I ever really like fully executed. And I, I have now come to the conclusion Um, that this is unpublishable. Is that difficult? Like emotionally? Um, I think a lot of people really struggle with it. I think by the time that I got to the point where I was ready to do it, it wasn't hard for me, but it was because I was thoroughly done with it it's time to set this aside and work on something new. And I was really excited at that point to see what I could do with something brand new. I think the important thing when you're a new writer and you're facing that is not to think about what you're moving on from and what you're setting aside, but to think about what you get to do next. Like the new project, the new shiny idea is so exciting that clinging to that and focusing on that instead of what you're moving past is really what can get you through it. And honestly, like there's a lot of authors I know that have gone back to an initial idea and figured out how to turn it on its head, put some new kind of spin on it and ended up working on that and publishing it later. It's not like you ever, you can't ever go back to that. It's not a forever thing. It doesn't have to be, but you Mm -hmm. need to be able to move on in order to move forward. That's absolutely true. I agree a hundred percent. It's hard sometimes to know when you've hit that point. People ask me a lot. When do you know it's time to give up on a manuscript? One of the first things you need is honest critique partner, someone that isn't afraid to tell you this isn't working or the market isn't there right now, whatever the case may be. Also an agent, if you have an agent, an agent that is honest with you, I have a manuscript. I've probably run it past my agent three times at this point and she reads it and she's like, yeah, Mindy, it's actually publishable. It's great. And it's against your brand and there's not a spot in the market for it right now. And I'm like, okay, it sucks because it hurts because I love this manuscript, but she's right. And that's part of what an agent does. You got to be able to listen to those other voices in your world. And sometimes you're not giving up on it. You're just setting it aside for the moment. I think that's a great point that you made as well. 
So let's talk about the Nightwalker series. You are the author of the titles Insomnia, Paranoia, and Mania, which are the Nightwalker series. And you also have the standalone titles Cut Me Free and The Row. So generally speaking, you write thrillers. That's definitely your brand. Some of them have a little bit of a paranormal edge, and some of them are straight-up contemporary. I really love this genre because it kind of allows you to deal with things that can be really dark and scary in kind of a safe way. Not only is it fiction, which is makes it safe, but also it's majority of what you're imagining you do create in your own mind. You kind of set your own boundaries for what you can handle. The author does create the whole ambiance and the description of everything for you, but the visual of it that you, the reader creates is still in your own mind. So you can kind of make it something that you can handle, which makes it a good way to explore scary topics and scary scenarios in a safe way for people that might not be able to go handle like a really scary movie or something like that. It's, it's, I really enjoy it. And it's very cathartic both from a writing perspective and from a reading perspective. I've always really enjoyed Stephen King, Dean Koontz, that kind of stuff too. So I guess it plays right into that for me. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever like fully leave it, but I am definitely exploring other areas right now. I'm kind of branching out from YA also. Like I am currently working on my first adult market thriller, and I am also writing uh, like middle grade fantasy mm-hmm. right now. I'm kind of branching out in both directions <laughs> at the moment. Oh, that's really cool. Stretching my wings a bit, I guess. I think that that will always be kind of home base and I'll end up going back to it again and again. It's nice to be able to try other things for a little bit too. So in writing the Nightwalker series, which has a little bit of a paranormal edge and then Cut Me Free in the Row, which are more contemporary, did you have any worries about losing some of your readers that you picked up with more of the paranormal edge with your first three? I really did want to try something slightly different because I don't want to be pigeonholed in like, I have to do supernatural psychological thrillers. I want to to have a little more freedom than that. I mean, I feel Mm -hmm. like thriller, there's a lot under that umbrella and still have that tense, like pulse pounding, page turning kind of experience. That's what I wanted to stick under. I wanted to be more about the experience of reading a book that really creates that tension in the reader without it being like it has to have supernatural or it has to have, you know, this kind of an element to it. You don't want to be pigeonholed into saying, yes, I write this one thing. I write psychological thrillers with a paranormal edge because you can't maintain that forever. Eventually you will want to write something else and burn out yourself on having any kind of passion for what you're working on. I always think that that's a good thing to talk about when we talk about brand, because brand is such a tricky thing. It's a hard thing to define and a hard thing. Even those of us that have a brand, sometimes Mm -hmm. we're hard pressed to describe exactly what that is. You definitely don't want to pigeonhole yourself and put yourself into a situation where you're only writing one thing. So tell us a little bit about the Nightwalker series. The basic premise is it's about a guy who, when he goes to sleep at night, he's trapped in the dreams of the last person he made eye contact with, and it's killing him. He's slowly dying of sleep deprivation. It was a lot of fun to write that series just because playing around with like people's dreams and that whole concept of just like what people's dreams might look like, what it would be like to experience other people's dreams 
it, it was fascinating for me. Um, an experience, and also the research on sleep deprivation. My minor was in psychology, and I was fascinated by like the brain and how sleep deprivation could affect that dangerous thing, sleep deprivation. I was really fascinated by that. Uh, it was also really interesting to see the way that readers reacted to it in different countries. For example, uh, like Latin American countries, Spanish re readers in particular, Spanish-speaking readers. Like culturally, they were very interested in sleep and dream analysis. Very big in those countries, just I think topically, which was something I was not prepared for, didn't expect at all. So that was a really interesting thing to me. The culture in a specific area or country might embrace an idea. That was an interesting experience. When it came to Cut Me Free in the Row, Cut Me Free was probably the hardest thing I've ever written. I had to do a lot of research on child trafficking, which is just an awful thing to have to research at all. I really wanted to write a survivor story. Somebody who wasn't just a victim, but was fighting through it and the way that they were overcoming what they'd been through. Being a victim wasn't defining them. And that was kind of what I set out to write with it. And it evolved into a bigger story. Researching that was incredibly difficult and it was much, much harder to write than I expected it to be. And it was so much harder to write than the Nightwalker series. That felt really fun in comparison to writing Cut Me Free. It was a much different experience. Yeah, I know what you mean. When you're writing something based on real world experiences, it can be very, very hard to dive into some of that research and do it enough that you are being honest within your work, but also not so much that you yourself are just becoming so emotionally entangled mm -hmm. that it's hard not to be overwhelmed. How do you know when um, you've hit that point? just had to like walk away from the research and the manuscript for a, a few days. I would get to the point where I was just, I can't look at this anymore right now. It's just getting emotionally overwhelming for me. Take a couple of days, appreciate my family, <laughs> appreciate my children, and just take a breath and understand that it will make give me a better perspective when I come back to it. And I think that's really the only way that you can do it is just be aware of your own limitations. If you get so immersed in it that you can't see where it's actually going to be beneficial to your story and help you tell the story in the best way that you can, then it's not going to be productive for you to do the research that you're doing. You kind of have to try and make sure you keep some perspective mm -hmm. as hard as it can be to do that. I agree. I've written quite a few troubling things myself and it is hard. You struggle with it at times and you've got to know when it's time for you to enjoy the good things that you have in your life in order to come back to a darker tone and have an appropriate grasp on it. Yeah, absolutely. Coming up, the pros and cons of writing a series versus writing standalones and where to find JR online. Riley didn't mean to kiss her sister's boyfriend. At least, not the first time. But it doesn't matter, because her sister caught them together, ran away upset, and never came home. As evidence mounts that something terrible has happened, Riley can't bring herself to admit what she's done, that she's the reason her sister ran away. How do you face the guilt of wishing a person gone when they actually disappear? Avoid the Size of the World, a YA novel by Rachel Alpine, is available now through Simon Pulse. Having written both a trilogy as well as two standalone titles, do you have a preference? So if you had asked me this question right after I finished uh, my trilogy, 
and was working on my standalones, I would have said that I definitely prefer my standalones. But now that I'm finished with my standalones and it's been a while since I did my trilogy, I would say mm-hmm. I really liked my trilogy. <laughs> I think that they both have very distinct pros and cons. I think that the difficulty of a trilogy is always the fact that you are trapped in that world for however long you are committed to doing that. So if you're doing, you know, three books of trilogy, then you're you're committed for those three books. For me, my trilogy is not even, I don't even uh-huh. know if I would call it a true trilogy. My third book is actually written half from a different perspective than the first two books are. So it's almost a companion book in some ways. It is half written from the same perspective. So it's, it is a trilogy, but the third book's so different from the first two, which was nice. It was kind of refreshing to take that um, as the third book. It didn't feel as trapped in the same routine as the first two. I think that that's part of the problem with trilogies when you're a writer. It feels so monotonous and it can feel so like these are the same people that I've been with for the last three years and I'm really tired of Mm -hmm. these people now and I want to work on a shiny new story with shiny new characters that I get to discover all over again. It can be very hard. You have to be disciplined and you have to stay focused in order to complete a trilogy. You have to make sure you're carrying both a story arc and also a series arc. There's so much more to um, a series when it comes to that kind of a thing. Uh, for standalones, it's all in one tight little bow. It's it's in one little package, and there's as many threads to carry when you're not talking about a series arc type thing. But it's also, it's over. It was interesting, actually, with Cut Me Free, we had two different publishers that were interested in it. And one of them said that they wanted to buy a sequel. And the other one said that they didn't see a sequel, that they didn't think it would work. I could not imagine after, I mean, you've, you've heard how, how hard it was for me to write that book. So I could not imagine putting those characters back in a position where I would have to put them through more after what I had already done <laughs> to them and cut me free. So I can't do a sequel to that book. But I feel like sometimes with STEM, you can feel like you miss those characters. You almost wish you could write more of certain characters and there isn't any more to write. So I think that there's definitely pros and cons to both. And I think the further you get away from writing one, the better it looks. <laughs> so I don't I don't think I have a preference. I think I enjoy doing both. I just I think going back and forth is actually a really nice way to do it, honestly. Writing a series has its own kinds of challenges. I think especially with a follow-up, this is something they don't talk about a lot in publishing, mm-hmm. but you can expect to lose almost 40% of your audience from one book to the next. And that's true from book one to book two and then from book two to book three. People just don't tend to finish entirely the series that they began. And that can be hard when you're in the midst of writing the third book or something and you're getting your numbers for your second book and they're not very good or they're not as good as you had hoped they would be. It can really take the vitality out of your writing when you're writing a series that you feel people just aren't going to read. That can be really hard to take when you know that your your readership drops off it's kind of hard to finish something that, you know, not a ton of people will be reading. I think it's also something that you have to be aware of as a writer writing That's anything. Very true. Yeah. There is no guarantee of a readership. And I think with a standalone, you're right in that you can become connected to characters and feel like you wish you could write them some more. But there is always something you mentioned earlier, the bright, shiny new idea. 
there was always something new and a new population yeah. for you to to play with in the future. So what advice do you have for writers? I think the best advice I have for writers that are looking to break in is just everything else. Like as long as you're working and on educating yourself in like how everything works in publishing, like everything else will fall into place as long as you are consistently trying to improve your craft. Just keep writing, keep working to get better at your writing, keep trying to improve on whatever. If you know that your your dialogue is good, but you could really work on your description or your setting, your characters, whatever it is that you, you know that you could work on and, and really flesh out, continually work on improving your craft. There's always something you can get better at. If everything you write is better than what you mm-hmm. wrote last, then eventually you'll be able to get published. It's just, it's a matter of just continuing to write and continuing to work on improving your skills. I think that's all you can do. That's the only thing that's really in your power. There's so many things in publishing that are out of your control, but that's something that you can control. And you have to kind of grasp the things that are in your power. As long as you're working on the things that are under your power to make those improvements on with some patience, hopefully everything else will fall into place. It's very true. And I think it's something that we don't, as authors, think about a lot when we're coming up because it's a lot easier to blame other people for your problems. And that's true of everyone. All of us are that way. Mm -hmm. So when we can't get an agent, it's because they're not recognizing our talent. Or if we can't get an editor to buy our book, it's because they've already got another one like it. And that can be true, but we also sometimes manage to convince ourselves of things that just make us feel better. And we don't necessarily say, wait a minute, what if this criticism is actually accurate? Because you do get editorial notes from your agent or from your critique partners. You know, it always sucks a little bit to have someone point out the things that are wrong with your manuscript. But you have to dive in and fix those things and acknowledge that you may, in fact, be wrong sometimes. And that isn't always easy when you're an artist and someone is pointing out inaccuracies or difficulties or places where your art can improve. And it's a very personal thing. So sometimes it's very difficult to process criticism about your work. And it's also very, I think, difficult to criticize your own work because you're inside of it. I often have to actually move away from it for a period of time two or three months, if I can, before I return to a manuscript, before I'm able to actually see what's wrong with it. When you're editing your own stuff, do you take that kind of a space in order to do it well? Or are you more of the kind of person who who hands it off to someone else? I don't edit while I'm writing. So I'll figure out things as I'm going through a book and realize like, I don't know, two thirds of the way through, oh, this character really should be doing this earlier on. And I won't go back and fix it until I go back and do like a first pass edit on it. I can do that kind of stuff right away, but when it comes to like a real revision on it, I I do have to take some time. What I usually do, I have some rules when it comes to revisions. If it's something that I agree with, that I've I've gotten feedback on, then I, I do that right away. If it's something that I don't agree with, I usually have a rule of three. Like if I have three different critique partners or three different people that have given me that same feedback, then I take it a lot more seriously. If I get any feedback from my agent or my editor, I generally read through it and then I don't decide whether I agree or disagree with it for at least 24 hours. I sit on it and I don't come up with arguments for or against it. I just ponder it for 
at least 24 hours. Usually, usually my instinct, if I try to respond or try to come up with anything right away, my instinct is to argue against everything. <laughs> and so if I, but if I sit on it for 24 hours, generally I end up agreeing with almost everything. Usually they're right. They're my editor. They're my agent for a reason. <laughs> they usually know what they're talking about. Sometimes it's not that they know, like their recommendation of how to fix a problem isn't right, but the problem is right. And that's what I see most of the time is if there's something that I really disagree with, it usually doesn't end up that the whole thing is wrong. It's that the way that they've suggested that I fix it isn't right. I, I end up you know, finding a different way to fix it that works better. And then they usually end up agreeing that that actually is a better way to fix it. You have to kind of figure out your own processes and what works best for you. And I think everybody's kind of different. I'm the same way about covers too, though. Like I don't respond to covers for 24 hours either. I just look at them and then I just walk away for 24 hours and I don't let myself decide if I like it or not because I have a processing window, I guess, that I, I need that time in order to decide if I really agree or don't, or if I really like something or not. I love the 24 hour rule. I think that is a really good piece of advice because they know that a first reaction is always defensiveness. That's how I often feel. So last thing, I want to ask you what is coming up next for you? What are you working on and where can people find you online? I'm currently working on a book that's a thriller set in the Paris catacombs. It would be for the adult market. That's uh, one of the projects I'm working on. The other one is a middle grade. <laughs> That one would actually be under a pen name, um, I'm pretty sure. I'm mostly active on Twitter these days. So just J.R. Johansson on Twitter. Uh, my last name is The Finnish Spelling, so it's J-O-H-A-N-S-S-O-N. My website is jrjohansson.com. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are the three places where I'm the most active these days, so that's probably the best places to look me up. And all of them are under J.R. Johansson. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. If you find the podcast or blog helpful, please consider making a donation by visiting GoFundMe.com and searching for Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire. Or visit the blog by going to WriterWriterPantsOnFire.blogspot.com. Click on the podcast tab and then the PayPal button. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. Join me next week for another episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where writers talk about things that never happened to people that don't exist. <laughs> <laughs>